0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. Glad that you're here today. It's good to uh, uh, share this time of fellowship and worship with each of you. We, uh, we, we welcome you all, especially our guests. We're glad that you're here with us this morning, and hope God's going to uh, bless you in a very special way today. And look at that, Phyllis Warren. Ma- uh, Phyllis Warren. <laughs> Our lost sheep has come back to the fold. <laughs> Welcome home, Phyllis. We're glad that you're glad that you're here. Uh, everybody, remember. Uh, let me remind everyone of your uh, the attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to fill those out so we could have a record of your attendance with us. Go ahead and check in on your phone. Um, let people know that you are here today. And a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention. First of all, uh, we are looking ahead towards uh, vacation Bible school, and as most of you know, we um, we collaborate with First Christian Church and the Presbyterian Church and Saint Paul's Episcopal Church to uh, conduct vacation Bible school, and we move it around from year to year. And this is our year to uh, uh, to host vacation Bible school. So we need a lot of volunteers. And if you would like to volunteer, I believe there's a uh, sign-up sheet on the bulletin board back here, so please uh, sign up for that, or uh, see Kim or Teresa and let them know that you would like to volunteer, and we would certainly appreciate it. And please, please do that quickly so we can make our plans accordingly. Also, uh, we are planning kind of a spring cleaning, outdoors cleaning type thing uh, coming up on Thursday, and so we invite you to come if you'd like to volunteer to help with that. We're going to pull some weeds and and put down some mulch and things like that, so uh, we could use your help there. And on... Uh, the week of May the 22nd or 23rd, uh, we normally would have our uh, Wednesday service on the 22nd with with dinner that evening. But we're not going to be doing that this this uh, this week. Instead, we're going to have a potluck on Thursday. We're not going to be having anything on on Wednesday, but if we're going to have a potluck on Thursday. And Terry Womack leads a, a a band. It's kind of a it's kind of a hodgepodge of music, different types. Of music, and we're going to have that on Thursday. So it's going to be a potluck on May the 23rd, followed by a program uh, by Terry's bands called the Back Porch Pickers. And This is not a spiritually enriching thing. Well, it might be a little bit. (laughs) Folks, sometimes you just have to do things because it's fun. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to have a lot of fun. Uh, We have gathered in the name of Christ, our risen Lord. And so let me invite you to do what Jesus would do. Let us stand and let us share the love of Christ with one another. (laughs) I'm <laughs> sorry.
1: standing for prayer.
0: Please pray with me. Risen Christ, just like the disciples of old, we are gathered together this week after Easter. And just like them, we too are wondering whether it can be true. Marveling at the possibility that you truly are alive and daring to hope. And just like those disciples, we are sometimes afraid and full of doubt. We may even find ourselves behind the locked doors of ourselves, too afraid to take a stand, too afraid to believe the unbelievable. And so we need the breath of your Holy Spirit to come upon us today to take our fears away. Lord, we are so often like Thomas. With our questions and our doubts, we sometimes need to see in order to believe, but we thank you, O God, that you appear to us in our fear, and you love us even in our doubts. Thank you for loving us as we are. Teach us, O God, not to hide from our doubt, but to recognize it as a door to deeper faith. After all, the disciples' fear became an occasion for you to be in their midst. And Thomas's doubt became a moment of revelation as he saw you and touched you and finally believed. This morning we pray for the many in our society who have no faith at all, even in themselves. There are so many who live without hope without knowledge of your resurrection, without your light in their lives. Grant us the courage to live as witnesses to your resurrection. We pray for those who find it difficult to believe. Lord knows that they are not alone. But it was your presence, O God, that removed their fears and erased their doubts. So come to us today. Grant us a sure sense of your presence and peace. Grant us renewed faith, greater courage, and boundless peace. Thank you, O God, for loving us when we believe and when we doubt. Thank you for loving us just as we are. May us do the same for others. Amen. Amen.
2: children down front please for our children's time oh there they are yeah So good morning. I don't know how to talk about
3: Yeah. I can see the sun, but I believe that it's going to be too warm to snow, and I believe that we're going to go to school tomorrow. Well, so, going you in the Bible, there was a man named But he didn't believe that it was really cheap. And so, take your thumb and your forefinger. Put them right here on your other hand and swinging. And you should be able to well, that's I get down and pull back and you feel Four do that. You back and and so, for Jesus to prove to Thomas that him, it was really Jesus and not a ghost or some other person, he showed him the whole, where they could come to the cross. And God made our lives so that even today, so many years later, we can still have proof that Jesus was really born the cross. We can feel that for the now. And so, one of the most important things about growing up (laughs) and believing in Jesus is to have faith. And to believe
2: that he can be with you all
3: Can you put your hands together?
2: And I'm going to close my eyes, and you can close your eyes and I said
3: about God. And God is so big and so marvelous that I'm going to bow my head out of respect. Okay? I'm going to talk about the altar. Dear God, thank you for Jesus, and thank you for the life of Thomas. Who had questions and doubts and had a tough time to believe. But you've given us markers, our bodies, and given us our minds so that we can have faith in you and believe in you for it. I know. I know. Okay. Well, first that. <laughs> my friend John, what do, you, what do you think is in here? Jelly. Jelly name? I'm you like believe that. Does it stand up? I don't know. Anybody else have a belief? Oh, that's I believe it's to Okay, so the thing, so the the you want i you want one okay. for my daddy. Dad. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I
2: love those. <laughs> 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 yeah. okay. <I> <laughs> <laughs> so they the <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. i right. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Loving Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for these moments that we share together today in this place. Lord, give us good moments together as we worship, Lord, and uh, give us, Lord, the hearts to be cheerful givers to give out of love and compassion as we come to your altar lord may we may we give freely that these offerings may be used for for your glory for your holy purposes and not those of our own we ask your blessing Upon these gifts, Lord, and these things we pray. In the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen.
1: 20, John 20:19 20, 19-31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hand and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them. And said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If we retain the sins any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them. When Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, When we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails on his hand and put my finger." Green mark of the nails and my hand in his side. I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was in them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is in the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord.
0: That, that song kind of takes me back. I haven't heard that song or thought about that song in a long time. Thanks for, for singing that song and reminding us of our belief. Speaking of belief, that's what I'm speaking on today. <laughs> Harold Burmell about driving through the uh, Pennsylvania Dutch country with his daughter and his seven-year-old grandson. And when they passed an Amish horse and buggy along the road there, the grandson asked, why did they use horses instead of cars? And Burmel's daughter explained that the Amish didn't believe in cars. To which the grandson asked, but can't they see them?
2: <laughs> I mean, they're there.
0: You gotta believe in them, you see them. And I'd say that's a pretty reasonable question, wouldn't you? I mean, once you have seen something with your own eyes, it's hard not to believe in it. And that's why so many people consider followers of, of Christ to be foolish. I mean, because we believe in a God that we can't see. We believe in a Savior who performed miracles and came back from the dead. And we believe in a Holy Spirit who we can't see, who lives within us and guides us in the ways of, of truth and love. And, and so when you think about it, it's really no wonder so many people reject our faith. Well, our message for today is about a man who has been nicknamed Doubting Thomas. But I want you to know that Thomas was a faithful follower of Jesus. But Thomas was also a rational human being. And when, when other, the other disciples claimed that, they, that Jesus had been risen from the grave and that they saw him... Thomas was not going to get all that excited about this until he saw Jesus with his own eyes. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, he said, I will not believe. Sounds to me like Thomas must have been from Missouri. The show me state. Well, Thomas said that on. Easter Sunday after the other disciples had seen Jesus with their own eyes and had seen the marks in Jesus' hands and side, and, and then they conveyed that truth to Thomas because he, he was not with them when Jesus appeared that first time. And then the Gospel tells us that a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be With you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And that's when Thomas said, My Lord and my God. He believed. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, so often when we look at this passage of Scripture and, and so many times when I preached on this passage of Scripture, we focus on Thomas's doubts and we say, Man, I can identify with that because who among us have not had our doubts? But when we do that we we, we miss the punchline. We miss the important part. We miss the words of Jesus when he says to Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That is such an important statement. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now this is not talking about those smugly, self-righteous, pious pontificators who spout off answers to questions that nobody's asking. We're, we're talking, talking about people who have come to grips with their doubts in an honest and forthright manner and have made a commitment of their will to, to trust in the, the care and the providence of God. And yes, they are indeed blessed. they are the ones who move this world forward because there is power in believing, and a part of that power is in the power of vision you know we 've all heard it said heard the saying that seeing is believing we 've all heard that, and we understand that and, we, and and we agree with that. we believe that <laughs> But I'm here to propose that the converse of that is also true. Believing is seeing. And you're going, huh? Believing is seeing. It is seeing the possibilities and the promises of a better world. And it is working hard to make that world become a reality. And so I'll say it again. Blessed are the believers. Now, of course, we all have our doubts, don't we? We've all had our doubts. All people do. Everybody doubts. We can't help it. I don't don't believe anybody's faith is 100%. If they tell you it is, well, never mind. (laughs) I think all thinking people have, the, have doubts. I, and, and I think Woody Allen was right. I know it's kind of a ironic to quote Woody Allen in a Christian sermon, but I think he was right. He said that faith would be a whole lot easier if God would show God's self by depositing a million dollars in a Swiss bank account in my name. But God doesn't work like that. I I read a true story about a, a young man named Charlie who was desperately in love with a charming young lady named Ava. And she was in love with him too, but he couldn't convince her to marry him. And so one day he invited her to lunch, and they drove out to the Los Angeles Coliseum, the largest sports arena on the West Coast. And there, in the very middle of that vast playing field, there was a... A small table with two chairs. A maitre d' showed them to the table, and a captain seated them. A waiter waited behind each chair, and apart from this small oasis, the coliseum was empty. There was nobody there. Something like a hundred thousand empty seats staring down at them. The table was elegantly set, and caviar and champagne were served, and and then they had a souffle and a salad and more champagne. And 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 as they were waiting for dessert, Charlie directed Ava's attention to the the huge electronic scoreboard at the end of the field. And in a prearranged signal, as he raised his glass, on the board flashed the words... Darling Ava, will you marry me? What do you think she said? No, she said yes. (laughs) You pessimists. She said yes. Of course, she said yes. After that, I mean, it became evident to us, to her, so obvious that this man loved her, that he would go to such extreme measures to tell her that he loved her. The question that I have is, why can't God do something like that for us? I mean it'd be so much easier. Maybe a, a giant comet streaking through the sky with the the tail skywriting the words I love you signed God. It'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? But God doesn't do that. I can sympathize with British philosopher Bertrand Russell who was asked what he would say if after death he found himself confronted with God. And he replied, I shall say to God, why did you make the the evidence of your existence so insufficient? And there's a part of all of us that says with Thomas, unless I see the marks in your hands and put my fingers at where the nails were and my hand in your side... I will not believe. We all long for certainty, don't we? But that's one gift that God does not grant us. And why is that? Well, I'm sure that God has God's reasons. If God's aim is to produce mature spirits uh, fit to spend eternity with God, then then that makes sense that, that God would not reveal God's self to us in fullness. I mean, that would would, uh, keep us in perpetual immaturity. I mean, think about it. In in your own family situation, if a child knows that his or her parent will always be there to solve every single problem that ever comes up, that child will never develop any self-reliance. And so it may be that our our insecurity is a necessary part of our spiritual growth. John Cavanaugh went to work with Mother Teresa uh, for three months at the House of the Dying in Calcutta.
2: And he went not
0: only to help other people, but also to, to seek a clear answer as to how he should spend the rest of his life. And, and on that first morning he was there, he asked Mother Teresa to, to pray for him. And she asked why he needed prayer, what he needed prayer, prayer for. And he said, pray that I have clarity. Well, Mother Teresa must have discerned that what... That, that what his true need was um, because she said no that she wouldn't pray for that and then she went on to say clarity is the last thing that you're hanging on to and you need to let it go and when Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have the clarity that, that he longed for she said I've never had clarity what I have is trust so I will pray that you will trust God God has God's reasons for not revealing God's self to us more clearly. It's probably because it's good for our spiritual growth to question, to ponder, to seek God with our minds as well as our spirits and our hearts. Besides, most of us have certainty enough. You remember what Jesus said? All we need is to have faith the size of a mustard seed and we can move mountains. You see, it's not how much faith we have that makes a difference in our life. It's how much we love God and how much we love our fellow human beings. Robert Frost once spoke of the founders of our nation and how they journeyed forth without a, a road map. They had no direction to, to lead them. And, and he said they did, they did not believe in the future, they believed the future in. They didn't believe in the future, they believed the future in. He continued, you're always believing ahead of evidence. Where is the evidence that I can write a poem? I just believe a poem in. And the most creative thing in us is to believe a thing in. I want you to think about that for a minute. The most creative thing in us is to believe a thing in. We believe in... I know it's deep. (laughs) John is like that sometimes. but, But think about this. We believe in God. And we see God's presence and God's power... Everywhere we look. And we believe in God's kingdom. But the real meaning of our lives as Christians is, is not to believe in God's kingdom, but to believe God's kingdom in. To make it happen. In other words. To create it. To do our part. Pope John Paul once told about an encounter that he had with a Russian soldier back in 1945. This was many years before he became Pope. This young Russian soldier came to him one night and announced that he wanted to enter the seminary. Now, this soldier had grown up in a system of atheism, and he had rarely ever gone to church in his life, only two or three times in his whole life. He wasn't wasn't even sure what a seminary was for. All he knew was that he had a yearning for God and for knowledge and for truth. And so he came to ask for John Paul's help. And in that long conversation they had that night, the young soldier kept repeating one thought. He said, I always knew that God exists, and now I would like to learn something about God. Do You see, he, he had always believed in God, but now he was trying to believe God into himself. A British biologist named George Romains wrote a book designed to, to further the cause of atheism. And he says, I, I, I just took it for granted that the Christian faith was played out. But when he saw that Christianity worked, and that many noted people, some of the, the most eminent people in all of the fields of science, had ranged themselves on the side of the gospel... He resolved to let the Bible speak for itself, and as a result, he wrote another book called Thoughts on Religion, showing why, from a merely human point of view, everybody should be a Christian. He concluded, unbelief is usually due to indolence, often to prejudice, and never a thing to be proud of. And he's right. You see, unless you've been taught to doubt, the evidence for belief in God is overwhelming. It really is. I mean, just look at how amazing this world is and how complex and beautiful our world is. I've been blessed to see some of the most wonderful natural wonders of the world. And every time I behold these wonders of nature, I am more and more convinced that something this wonderful could not have occurred without divine guidance. For most of the world's people, there is a certainty enough that God exists. And this is not to say that faith is to be accepted without careful thought. God gave us good minds to protect us against being gullible to every silly idea that comes down the pike. And there are some really silly ideas that come down the pike, folks. We need to examine all those new ideas that we're exposed to. Whether it comes from a preacher or a politician or a professor or a newspaper or a TV pundit or whoever, God does not honor gullibility. But we will never make much progress in our lives unless we resolve, or until we resolve in our own minds what we do believe in and to whom we are committed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's the first thing that we need to see. Blessed are the believers. Here's the second. Believers are to be blessings. Believers are to be a blessing to the world. Folks, where has there ever been a monument erected to the Senate? Or to the critic? Or to the doubter? My friends, believers are those who know that the world can be a better place and who work towards that end. Consider our our own society. Who have been the builders? Who have constructed the hospitals and the great universities in our land and the social service organizations? Behind every one, you will find people who hold in their hearts not cynicism, but hope. Not doubt, but faith. Not hostility, but love. Would you be offended if if I said that most cynics are idiots? <laughs> I, I know that, that sounds bad, but I, I mean it in the original sense of the word. And here, here's your education for today. <laughs> The Greek word idios, from which we get the word idiot, means to look after one's own private affairs. You see, the Greeks considered anyone who turned his or her back on the public good to be an idiot. Anyone who ignored the health and the security of the whole society, especially the most vulnerable in society, in order to selfishly look after his or her own affairs, was considered to be an idiot. An idiot. One who turns his or her back on the public good in order to look after his or her own affairs. So... I hope we asked ourselves the question today, am I an idiot? I know that doesn't sound very good to be asking from the pulpit, but what I'm asking is, are we content with paying attention strictly to our own affairs and letting the rest of the world literally go to hell in a handbasket? My friends, believers are not idiots. We are people who know that if we make our world a better place for uh, for our neighbors, it will also be a better place for ourselves. Believers have learned that the path of greatness is a road to service. In the soaring language of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your noun and verb agree to serve. Sorry, teachers. Um, You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. He went on to say that when evil men plot, good people plan. When evil men bomb and burn, good men build and bind. When evil men shout words of hatred, good men commit themselves to the glory of love. So where are you this morning? Are you on the side of the doubters or on the side of the believers? I mean, anybody can be a doubting Thomas. It really doesn't take much strength of character to say, unless I see the nail marks on on his hands, I will not believe. But it does take a lot of strength of character to say that I don't have all the answers. But I know who is making this world a better place to live. And it is the followers of Jesus Christ. And I want to take my stand with them. It takes a lot of strength of character to say, I don't have all the answers, but unless someone proves otherwise, I will take my stand with those who believe that this beautiful world was a creation of a good and loving God. It takes strength of character to say that I don't have all the answers, but I believe that the death of Jesus Christ on that cross has somehow changed this world forever. And I don't have all the answers. But put me down as a believer. Listen again to the words of our Lord. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. Amen. Amen. We've come to that portion of our service where we will celebrate the ordinance of of the Lord's Supper of communion communion together. We'll ask our deacons to come forward and prepare our table. Um, we generally practice intention as the method of uh, of communion, which means that we invite you to come, beginning in the back, to come forward down the middle aisle. There will people be uh, a couple of people standing here and a couple of people standing here, one with the bread and one with the the cup. We'll ask you to take a piece of bread and then move to the cup and dip it into the cup and then eat it. This is communion. We also will have um, the traditional way of doing communion. And so if you're not able to come forward to take this, or if you prefer the traditional way, then you can remain at your seat and, and one of our, a couple of our deacons will come and serve you there. A scripture for today says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You know what? That's talking about us. There's not a person in this room who has physically seen Jesus Christ. Have you? And yet we believe. And it is through that belief that we are drawn together as the people of God. It is through that belief that we commune with one another and that we commune with God. Today, we celebrate that communion. We remember the Lord's death until He comes. That's what the crucifixion is. As we take the bread, it is a representation of the body of Christ as we take the cup as a representation of the blood that was shed for us and and, and and folks I've been studying theology for decades and decades and decades and I'm not sure if I still I'm still not sure if I have a real grasp of what all that means but I take my stand with the believers that it means something special and I don't have all the answers I believe in the one who does. We invite you to come and let us share in this communion together. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. and He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the blood of a new covenant. Take and eat this, for as often as you do, you remember the Lord's death until he comes. What a beautiful blessing it is to share communion with the, God, with the people of God. We are children of the most holy God. What we have done here is we have remembered how much God loves us. You know, Charlie kind of loved Ava. (laughs) He kind of went to great extremes to show her that by renting the L.A. Coliseum. God loved us so much that He gave His Son. That's a lot of love. And it is that love that brings us together in communion. I hope you remember that as you leave here today. And I hope you will live that in your life. Let us stand and sing our closing hymn.
2: Let's be the time to rise.
0: God sent Jesus to be the light of the world. So now the Spirit of Jesus sends us out to the world around us. May God unlock the doors of our fears that we might freely stand among the world's people and that we might share the touch of Jesus. That we might speak the the words boldly, His words boldly, and with confidence to the people who need it so desperately, To hear those words, peace be
2: with you. Amen. Amen.